When we dance, the journey itself is the point. When we play music, you will simply become completely absorbed in sound. And therefore you will find yourself living in an eternal now in which there is no past and there is no future and there is no thing called difference between yourself and the world of nature outside you. Ideas demand action, philosophy thrives through practice and talk only flourishes when it inspires meaningful deeds. Welcome to the Talk Doesn't Cook Rise podcast with myself John Staskowski and Danny Massaro where we explore thought-provoking concepts and provide practical insights to enrich modern life. We hope you enjoy this episode. This is something, there's nothing, it's a solid, it's a space between yourself and the world of nature outside you. Right, Danny, we're going to split this one, I think, into two parts. So today we're going to be talking about the self. And next episode, whenever we get around to doing that, we're going to talk about personality. And the reason that we're doing that, again, an interesting topic that has lots of rabbit holes and stuff we could go down. But I suppose the question we're exploring is what and who we are. So that's the question that I think people often maybe ask ourselves. What am I? Who am I? Those sorts of maybe what might be called an existential crisis sometimes where people start thinking about, well, what am I? Who am I? What am I doing? That's a nice little lead into to some thinking. And a guy who's written a, a book recently who we quite like, Joseph Ledoux, wrote a book on four different realms of existence, which is a little bit of a frame for what we'll talk about today. To cut a long story short, he certainly thinks that self and personality are not the answer. So we're going to focus on, well, what's this thing, the self? What's going on there? And then next episode, what's personality how does that differ and just how do they each play a role in this story that we have going on in our heads this movie that we're constantly we sort of think we're the star of our own movie don't we and it starts when you're born and then the film finishes in the credits roll when you when you pop your clogs at the end i think it's fair to say most people we tend to think we're the same person through that whole movie so you are born you are you there's something special and unique and just only you have it and it's like the core thing that is you underneath that and that goes all the way through your life until you die so certainly some of the questions i've asked people over time when when doing different sessions and working with groups and stuff is what makes someone the same person over time and it can open up some really interesting discussion because it's you can get into well is it a physical thing is it like your actual body that you carry through your life and you take through your life is it a psychological thing is it your memories is it your soul is it your mind all these different aspects that we like to think are us you know, there's quite interesting theories on all of them over the over the years. If you trace it all the way back to Plato and Aristotle and Descartes and those sort of old school philosophers, they all engaged in this question. You know, those questions like what's the soul, what's the mind, is it the same as the body and how do they differ? But a lot of those guys tended to refer to substances. So it's like, yeah, there's this core substance that is you that moves through time and it's just that and it's the same thing. It doesn't really change. But you had later philosophers like David Hume, who we'll, we'll talk on today, he said, hang on, there's no such thing. There isn't this thing as the self. There's not this thing that travels that whole journey through the movie. It's a bit of an illusion, and, and you may be getting a bit confused with some of that and what it might mean. So, Danny, what do you reckon? Why, why was this a relevant chat for us to have? Why did you think this could be useful and just help people get their thinking caps on a bit? Yeah, well, it's really interesting to me because... 
I, in a way, as a sort of therapist, psychology teacher, people are very interested in being better and changing the situations. And some of the things that can hold you back and propel you forward, if you if if you're positive, is is the self concept who you think you are deep down. And uh, it's like people when I studied phenomenology, which is like being in you know the the, the thing of being. You're the only person living in your fishbowl, looking out. You're in your head, in the first person, describing and assimilating and making sense, theorizing about everything you're going through. Nobody else will ever get to get inside you, like in the first person, making sense of your senses uh, and all your experiences. So if you get stuck in that, as if, well, when I was a youngster, this is what I thought about the world. This is what I thought about me in it. And this is what I thought about my limits and capabilities and, and how I am. That gets to a point in a social world where it's always changing and you're changing your age and you're, you're changing your situations. That might be you know, financial situations, relationships, you know, your health, your experience levels. If you cannot grow and change you know, who you think you are along relative to all those new territories, then you're not going to be adaptable. And I was, I know, I'll talk to players about being as a, the strongest that they can be in sport. So sports change, you know, uh, like, for example, rules and the body changes or new opponents come along, new conditions, new technologies in sports. And you have to, maybe you were an aggressive racing driver early on when the rules suited aggression. But then all of a sudden the rules five years later suited being really conservative and playing the long, slow game and staying on the track rather than being flat out aggression. It's no good then, you know, if that was Lewis Hamilton saying, well, I've always been like this, I can't change. Because then he doesn't go on to win more world championships or whatever he wants to do. So I've always liked psychologies and philosophies that have that has left open sort of these developmental levels. Piaget was good at that. Uh, Claire Graves with his development of values and how we oscillate upwards through life. Otherwise, we get stuck at a certain level and everything we see is at that level. That, that. So... You know, there are good things about something about being a consistent, reliable, you know, me, that's me, that's me. And, you know, I know who I am. I am this person. This, you know, you don't want to go full on total. I'm always, I never know who I am. So that we like having consistent elements, but we also need elements where we can go, I used to be that person. And I, that was the way I used to feel and see the world and behave. But now I'm like this now these days. And that, again, matches into the summary of like my research anyway uh, in how one might live a sporting life or any life really in terms of you go through certain phases in your life and within each of those phases it's healthy healthy to know what makes you tick in each of those phases and it's okay to be a different type of person in each of those phases and that that can mean shaking off concepts of yourself and adding new things in in fact, when I when I used to study neurolinguistic programming, at the very core of NLP psychology is uh, what do you want? Where do you want to go? Right, let's change all all the things you think about yourself, so that opens up. And it's like belief, self belief change, and all those types of things. We know we can change because we know if we have trauma or something, we change. It, it gets to us. We know if we have success. And things like that we change and we know that we change based on our physical capabilities and such like so we know change is possible but if we're not careful we can get too, too stuck saying you know me i am who i am 
I've always been the same way, you know, and, and, and in some ways that's just, that's just an excuse and it's just a comforting story that we tell ourselves to avoid action. I think though that, cause I'm with you on like change of phases and the ability to proactively be someone different or change a, a predicament or a circumstance, but that still assumes that there is a self doing the changing, doesn't it? That there's this underriding core thing that is consciously saying, right, do you know what? I need to be someone different. I'm going to become this, or I'm going to stop associating myself with that characteristic that I had in the past. I want to be something different. That still assumes as a self, isn't it? That's, that's core that's moving through and doing the change. Is that it? So is, is that not a story you're telling yourself? Yeah. Well, the way I see it is that, well, something that I took from Lisa Feldman Barrett in terms of it, who's a re- recent neuroscientist, that humans are unique because we can we can generalize about, we're general, we can generalize really wildly, you know, about so much data and we've got memories, we've got future memories, we, we can predict, we can plan, we can daydream, you know, we can scan for information and we're, you know, way beyond our current moment. Plus we've, we've taking things all in all the time as well but what we do we can compress all that information into like an abstract story so we're quite good at taking all that data and putting it into a a metaphor or a story to make sort of sense of it so we would go oh i know what you mean i know what you mean with all that what's going on over there and all this stuff you know it's like a bird leaving the nest you know it's like a a fly in the nest like a bird flying the nest eventually isn't it and that then you can so you use a metaphor like that then you can generalize that down even more to so yeah what i need to do now is is leave home and treat it in a biological natural order way don't get emotional about it because it's just nature and we go we take all those feelings and all those complexity and the brain's amazing at compressing that down to a to a, a simple prediction and then an action so because the brain is doing that all the time and has always done that in 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 you know New neuron ways and and all the, all the electrical activity, all the you know billions of cells in our brains that are constantly like working out what to do with this data. That's something Anil Seth, who wrote a book called Becoming You, he said we have that evolutionary purpose of being able to condense information down into a quick story, metaphor, and move it on. That's basically just the brain being making best guesses all the time what he called uh base like bayesian best guesses which is taking all the all the information and all everything we know about the brain and and, and sort of then say well there must be some and there must be some self in there constant self who's always doing this brain activity but the neuroscientists are saying there isn't a constant self in there that's just your brain doing its stuff to survive okay so it's just biology doing its thing but even that you have to then make a story feel like you're just being run by a computer and no, you know, no enduring soul or anything more than that. So you're right. Yeah, there isn't there isn't necessarily a, a constant self organizing that. But what the neuroscientist is saying, and Daniel Dennett is another one, Feldman Barrett and Anil Seth, they, they disagree at various points, but they kind of all agree that all the so-called self is, what we call the self, is a convenient fiction. It's Basically, the brain doing its stuff evolutionarily to survive, make sense of everything, compress things down so that the brain can predict something that needs to be done to survive, fight or fly or whatever will the next move. And Feldon Barrett actually was interesting. She said that you want to survive physically, you want to survive socially, 
because we create a social reality. We, you know, we all, everybody else, we were social creatures. But she said, you also want to survive in the story of yourself. You want to keep the sort of illusion of the constant me going. So you don't like being shamed or, you know, you wouldn't want anyone to look through all your WhatsApp chats, would you? And be publicized. You wouldn't want everybody to know all your internet activity. You wouldn't want everyone to know all your dark little things because you've got an image to upkeep, not just with others socially, and even within yourself, you don't really want to think that you don't have an enduring soul or an enduring self and that you're just some sort of evolutionary computer bungling your way through a life. It's better to think that you're, it's, you know, and that's the pragmatism of it. You know, like, like you, you know, the pragmatism of it's probably healthier to think of yourself in a way as a constant self-soul because it's, it's a better story than I'm just a, I'm just a brain machine that you know, reacts. See, I love that. I find that <laughs> fascinating. Like, I am quite funny and just like bizarre and ridiculous, but I find it like funny rather. Whereas I know some people, when you speak about this stuff, and probably some people listening, it's like, whoa, I'm just not prepared to go there to to not believe that I am this core me that is just doing the thinking. Like you say, it terrifies them. They just will not. They're not prepared to go there. When you talk about the neuroscientists, this is one of the reasons why I, I love David Hume. He's, he's just like a philosopher who I really have liked over the years because he was saying this stuff in the 1700s. And like now, neuroscience and the state is catching up, isn't it? But to have that much foresight and that much insight into what he was talking about then is, I just think, genius. Like, you know, it's, it's just flat out genius. But he, yeah, so he was talking about this all the way back then. He called it the, his bundle theory, or it gets called his bundle theory of self now, which was very much this notion that he used to talk about when I sit there and try and think about what, like, what is the self, where is it? It's certainly not an objective, tangible sort of thing that you can touch. You can't cut your head open and, and see it's not there, is it? So he's like, that's a factor. But also, anytime you think about something like that, it has to go through a perception first. And for that very fact, it means that he just didn't think it existed. So he called it a bundle theory where the self for him, it's essentially in any one moment, you've got a certain bunch, bundle, whatever you want to call it, of perceptions, thoughts, feelings, sensations. They're all in the mix and it's just in that one moment. And that is what's doing the perceiving, I suppose, and, and has this. Yes, there's a story there of a past and a present and a future, but all it is is, is in the moment. It's just a bundle of perceptions. And then in a day's time, a week's time, that bundle will be completely different, but it will be for that moment in time. It can think about some of these things, but it's it's very different. So like he would ask or, or, or get you to consider, well, are you the same person? Are you the same self who was at school 30 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever it is? Is that the same? How can that be the same person? Like you can't even remember 99% of what you did and how you were, where you went. You can't, so memories even in the mix isn't it memory is not like a, a an objective recording of who you were and where you've been and everything you've done it's just perception so even our memory of who we were probably changes through time to fit a particular story and just the current bundle that we're in you remember things differently to try and create this ongoing movie and film that, that you're in but you're a totally different person Likewise, the person you are now won't exist in 10 years' time. 20 years' time, you'll have a totally different set of perceptions in the moment. So that was his bundle theory and, and very much that there is no person beneath it all. Yeah. Like you say, you're just this all... Not a computer, is it? But you're a you're a biological bunch of 
cells and atoms and, and all those things that are doing the perceiving in that moment. But there's no person underneath it, which terrifies people. They're just like, what are you on about? I am, I'm me. There's a, there's a, there's an essence, there's a core essence that I have that is only me. And him was like, nah, you're, you're having a laugh. So one way to think of it is like a car, which is an analogy I've used in the past. If you have a car and then you take all the pieces of the, the car apart, so you've got the roof, the doors, the wheels, the exhaust, the engine, all of those bits of the car are only really that like, once you do that, the, the actual car doesn't exist. All the parts of the car are there, but the car doesn't actually exist anymore. It's not a, a thing underneath. So it's a little bit like that with Hume that we think of it as this, this like solid thing but it's just a bundle of stuff at that moment in time when you take it apart there's nothing there it's just, it's just parts perceptions thoughts emotions feelings all those things so that fits into Feldon barrett who was saying the brain is taking in sense data to, to predict and survive the next moment and then how that if we can survive the next moment how does that leak into maybe the next week the next year than you know our, our story that's that that's interesting and so therefore daniel dennett when he said it's a convenient self-fiction that you know the self it's, it's it's a convenient fiction it's like so hume i know hume was very some people said that he was almost eastern in his thinking weren't it you know the the, the eastern researchers would say there is no self you know if you can lose the self and i know i think it was um one of the Eastern books I'd, I'd read some time back, I remember them quoting some biological facts about our cells change and renew all the time, our physical cells, or, you know, maybe it takes, I don't know, I can't remember, a year, two years for the, all the cells in your body to completely renew. Yeah. Not even physically the same thing. Um, Michael Singer it was, yeah, in, in The Untethered Soul, and um, therefore he very Eastern saying, so... If there's no self, there's no problem. If you can sort of you're all, let your old self die a lot, this type of Eastern thinking and the, the ego is the problem and that the more you can see through the story of me that you've created and see that it's a fiction, actually very relieving because there's no pressure to keep up the act or the, or the constant narrative and it frees you up. Uh, and and I think the big thing with that was was non-attachment, if I'm if I remember that. Therefore, you you get a lot less attachment to this me in the world and my unique tale, and I cannot imagine a world without me in it. So I'm so hanging on in fear to everything, and I'm not too sure about all of that. I'm not, you know, that when the monks take it to the to the absolute depths of you know, go and live in the jungle and forget who you are and totally die to yourself and all of that. That hasn't necessarily been proven to be the ultimate, you know, path to enlightened and all of this. So I think there's a. It's healthy to have the story going up to a point. I've, you know, when I've read Michael Singer or Eckhart Tolle or spiritual things, you know, some of the Buddha and all this, what you do get, I do, you get an instant relief because you sort of like do come away from that story a little bit of the important me, and and the, and you let go of the reins a little bit, and it's a bit like it's not. It's not like the determinism free will thing of, oh, I can't do it. I can't, I'm no free will. I'm just a thing traveling through space and it's all been predetermined. But there is like a, there, there is a letting go of total control and panic about, I've got to keep everything perfectly in line with who I think I am deep down, all my core values, you know, all my beliefs. So I, 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 I found that good. So in terms of Hume, what was his advice, you know, after say, after basically saying that, you know, if he was Eastern influence or not, what was his advice? 
this is another reason why I quite like him because ultimate, ultimate conclusion he gets to because he, he had a lot more. This is just one factor that he focused on. He had a quite all encompassing philosophy about, you know, especially about cognition and how we make mental errors and things like that. So he was into lots and lots of stuff. So his ultimate conclusion, just generally on philosophy, was like, look, at the end of the day, you've just got to go to the pub with your mates and have a few beers and, and like not be thinking about this stuff. Because if you think about this stuff too much and for too long, there is almost a potential for like you're just going to lose the plot. It, it, it's so disconcerting, almost discomforting for some people that if they spend too long thinking about this stuff, like you said, in, in some ways, you could probably can lose that sense of settle. Which in some ways that could you could end up in a flipping mental asylum or something, couldn't you, if you take it to the yeah. to the extreme. But I think even so there's a bit of humour there with you where even as like one of the most eminent philosophers in history, he still recognised some of the dangers of but sometimes pragmatically you've just gotta go and have fun with your mates and just talk about joke with each other and talk about just ridiculous, absurd things that don't really mean anything, but it lightens you up a bit. But even in that little section we've just talked about, we've sort of proved that the self doesn't exist, I think. So if you think mentally, we've said, well, memory's flawed. So you can't remember. If I said to you, Danny, what were you doing on the 13th of January, 2002? You wouldn't have a clue. Like there's literally no memory there. It's not that just you've got a vague recollection. You probably could if I gave you your diary or something and said, oh, well, here's a photograph from that day. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that sort of rings about. But you don't really know. So mentally, there's no persistence. There's no persistent thread going through in that sense. Yeah. And physically, like you said, well, we know biologically at a cellular level, they're turning over at a, at a certain pace that eventually every single cell in your body has been replaced. So you are physically, you're not the same thing that was born or 10 years ago. It's, it's constantly going through. That was one of Hume's ideas. I think he called it the persistence problem. There is no persistent thread that runs through either mentally or physically. So it's like, well, what what does that mean? What are you going to do with that? It sort of just opens it up. And I quite like the analogy of a rope. So if you see a, like a big, long, strong, you know, like a rope you might see on a fishing boat or something, yes. big, thick. There isn't one single thread that runs the length of that rope, but it's lots and lots of different threads that have been wound together that then constitute the big rope. So it's a bit like that with his bundle. Like you've got all these bundles, probably millions, trillions of bundles all through life of these thoughts, etc. in that moment. And that's ultimately what it is. The self is just a fiction. It's not a thread that runs the whole thing. So then like you say, it's like, well, what do we do with that? What did, what did Hume think? He thinks, well, it's sort of nice to know that, but then don't get bogged down in it. Don't worry about that. Sort of use it. So I see it as a positive, proactive. It's like a, it's a, it's an action-based thing of, well, if I'm not wedded to a particular self, I can do anything. Like every day I can change who I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. And there's an active, proactive role in that, isn't there? Which for me is like, I think that gives a bit of energy and it lightens you up rather than thinking, oh, well, I've got to maintain this. Must be a nightmare for, say, politicians. Yes. If you're inconsistent or you change your mind or yeah. you maybe say, oh, yeah, I used to, but not anymore, that you're finished. People say all that. That's like a negative thing to say to someone, isn't it? Oh, you've changed. You've changed you. And it's like, it's it's a negative thing generally to not be this core thing that is just you. So, yeah, I think you can take it one of both ways, one or two ways. And I agree with you. It's probably not something you want to go down too many rabbit holes on. But I think you take it with a pinch of like light-hearted, see the absurdity in it and how funny that is, but the opportunity that that brings. Yeah, I think when we look at personality next time, that's a bit more of a surface type of uh, game. Like a personality is almost like a 
a way that you know you can get attention in the world for doing certain behaviors and things is like you one good way of thinking about personality it's like a trick you learn as a child and then you carry on and you just repeat it and you get expert at it that just kind of becomes the way you operate but the self is 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 almost a, a deeper concept of the consistency that you kind of believe that you are deep deep down that you've always been there inside watching everything going on and you're always in control and you're the captain of you know this ship and if you don't, if you're not captain or if something happens or if you're not like you used to be, you should be panicking because it doesn't feel familiar and it doesn't feel uh, like me. It's like, I don't feel myself is what people will say. Now, that's kind of, that could be partly because there's a, a presupposition that you should be yourself always because you've got a, a sort of center of gravity, shall we say, that, that you you operate at well within yourself and you know that, that thing. So I, I'm not too sure about this going, you know, you have a going on full on Buddhist and totally like Hume suggests, don't write it off. Don't say, it's like Spinoza's God, isn't it? Spinoza, as we might do one episode, yeah, okay, there's no God, but Spinoza's God, if it's functional and useful to you, then that's, you know, that's how God is. That's how, it's not necessarily some entity. It's not necessarily, it's a true thing there but it's actually a useful thing that helps me in a way, what you might say pragmatically, or it just helps. So that's how I believe in it. So I think that could be true about the self. It could be some sort of like generalized anchor point that you know if you've got too far from it, it's a, you haven't got the skills or the capabilities to cope. So you've gone too far away, like out, out of yourself, that you can't transcend it. You know, I, a good example. So I'm trying to get a bit fitter again, you know, after COVID, having a young child and so on. And I was on the bike doing an old, old bike session this morning that I used to do. And I'm struggling on like the fourth set of this set, you know, this power set. And I'm thinking, oh, two more. Basically, I kind of pulled on, I remember I was there, I pulled on my old. I said, well, you, I mean, you know, I think when you do certain physical sessions, it's fantastic. I always say this in sports because you, you, you're very lonely. And you really get down to you and your thoughts and just you, you know, you you kind of want your mum because there's no, there's no getting out of it. So you're sort of left on your own. So some of the best psychological sessions are the hard physical ones where they endure a bit and you've got to talk yourself into it. So I'm down in the depths. I'm thinking, what are you doing? I'm feeling a bit weary. I can't keep the wattage up. I'm trying and I'm, and the clock looks like it's going backwards, not forwards. And I'm thinking, oh, my legs, can't wait for push. And then I'm digging. I'm going, no, you, you fit. You've always been fit. You've always been motivated. You always get through these sessions. Come on. I'm talking to myself. I love how you're even using the language. I'm talking to yeah. myself, yeah. but we've just said it. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's thinking of it as a sort of pragmatic story. I'm not thinking on there. I'm a computer just making calculations. You can try that and it kind of can work, but I'm not used to that. I'm not used to feeling like a computer. I'm used to feeling like a human being. So I'm used to feeling like I am a self and I have a yeah. and I have a past and I have an opinion of myself and I have a self-concept and I have self-esteem and I, you know and I, and I have a self-identity who I think I am so what I start doing when I'm deep down is sort of like I start pulling on those memories and, and old selves to try and help the, the current self which is older not as fit not been in the gym as much you know a father you know is different I'm a different man I'm old you know and there's practical things to that as well practical things like my muscles aren't as big leo my son had to sleep in my bed last night because for three hours so i was tired 
you know, I, had to, I was up earlier. I've got practical things. I'm not as fit as I was, you know, but like biologically, you know, my lungs and so on now. So what I'm doing, I'm pulling on that story, but fitting it into a new narrative of myself, which is I'm a di- I feel like I'm a, I'm a different vessel that needs conditioning if you know what i mean i need i need i've got to look after this new me and and that might be new information new fitness new foods i'm in a new phase and what i can't do is just rely on past past experiences and the old me i've kind of got to be a blend i've got to be new and old if you know what i mean yeah nice and develop i've got to polish myself up for the place i'm in now and therefore, I managed to get through the session, you know, and then, you know, collapse, let down, stuff like that. But it's, it's, I'm not doing it for, I'm not doing the, even my motivation isn't different. My motivation is to be strong and healthy. It used to be to win squash matches, but I'm, I'm not a competitive squash player anymore. That's not, I, I'm, I'm past competition. I, got, I almost see competition for me as a bit silly nowadays. You know, when people say, oh, I've always been competitive. I could, you know, they always co- co- compete at tiddlywinks, compete at this. No, I've never been. Well, I used to be a bit like that, but I'm not like that anymore. I don't know why, I'm just not. Now, I might get, I might become that again, or I might become that next Tuesday when something really happens. And there's this, I don't know, but I'm, so I'm open to, to renewal and I'm open to, to like, but saying that, I still believe that there's a personality going on, which will come next time. And I think sometimes we get mixed up with personality, which is the sort of habitual tricks that we use to get through our days and get attention and survive and, and make money and keep our mates and this deeper sense of self. I think a personality is there. I think a personality is a, like a practical thing we use, like a tool to, to get through our days. That doesn't mean that because personality is quite, you know, always the same, doesn't mean that the, 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 there is this this deeper, constant, like all-knowing self that's always there witnessing it. If you know what I mean? Yeah. A thing that's always fascinated me about this stuff is there's a it's really, really quite deeply ethical. So there's like an ethical significance to this. Yeah. So if you think of how society's structured, and even now, like so, you know, like we've been talking about our dads quite a bit and stuff because they're getting on and you know with various things there, and it's like, all right, so at the end of your life. So you see it a lot with people like Alzheimer's and, and things like that. When they're starting to lose their mental faculty, faculties, when do they stop being them? Like, when are they still them? When are they just like, like, yeah, they've gone. They're just totally like, they're basically just a body that's what's there. There's no sort of mental acuity going on. So that's quite, it's like, all right, well, that that assumes that there is a there is a self in there that is that person that can stop being a person before they even like physically die, Yeah, which is quite interesting. Think about as well in terms of crime. If you do a crime when like 30 years ago, are you the same person now who did that crime? So do you still be in prison or punished? And no sort of, because the justice system works on that. It's like, no, you are you. And that you did that, did that crime. But if you've got human, the boys come in and go, no, but there is no such thing. There was just that bundle of perceptions in that one moment. That person no longer exists. Yes. Pretty much. So how does then the law work and things like that when you're drunk? Are you the same person as that same underlying self that's underneath? Yeah. When you're on drink or drugs, and if you do something there that you wouldn't do when you're sober, well, what's going on there? What's the who's who? Is it the same one person doing it? Is it different? You know, that sort of thing. You've been using there is person. And when you use person in law, that's that's we often look at that as third person. It's from the outside looking at somebody, that 
person. And that's where personality theory started to come in in the late 1800s when it when when they noticed people have what they now call multiple personality disorder. Yeah. People were just like way off it and stuff. So as soon as you start mentioning like the lone person, that that's like that's different. That's but the 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 self underneath that from the first person point of view inside out, the from the phenomenology one, the, the the thing inside looking out, that's different than this way we look at the we look at the bundle, what Hume called the bundle, from the outside and call that a person. Yeah, but we don't look at the bundle as a moment in time. We look at the bundle as moving through time, don't we? As if it's yeah. the same bundle that is moving along, whereas Hume is like, no, no, it's just... You don't know as much from the third person as you do from the inside constantly being in it. So you're making a... When you say a person, you've done a massive generalisation and summary and you go... They were born then, they did this, they did this, they did this, they did this, and so on, and then they died. That that person did that. But the self is this more constantly there, first person, never switches off, even in your dreams. Now, what was interesting in that, in, in uh, Seth's book about becoming you, he opens up talking about the time he was put under general anesthetic and said that is the only time that the so, you know the self switched off because your consciousness is numbed out, your electrical activity or what have you. So... Basically, that isn't the same as going to sleep. He said, you wake up from general anaesthetic, you could have been gone for five seconds, five hours, five years, and you wouldn't know. That's the only time that you're sort of not what you might perceive of this, as this so-called self, where you're, you're inside and there's all this stuff going on. But when you talk about a person, is that person guilty 30 years ago? What did that person do? That's a third person looking in thing. So... A lot of behaviorism was in personality, which we'll look at next week, because people couldn't get into people's heads and know what they were really feeling from the inside. Behaviorism took off and said, oh, I know what they're like. Because they're doing these behaviors, they must be that. Because they give people money, that means they are kind. I know what that is. And then they studied animals and everything became behavioristic. But that's gone out of fashion a bit now, thankfully, because it's very general and narrow. And all you are is a collection of external behaviors. Now, that might be important, but it's not the whole picture. So it is interesting that. And But I, I think, what, I mean, what do you think? Do you think that you have any sort of consistency underneath that's always been there have you a sense of that or do you think the consistency that you have is just basically being like your personality i think i used to think like that like there was like the classic you're a starry movie but honestly when i think back to like who i was at school and if i I can't do it because it's impossible but if i try and put myself back in that fishbowl in my shoes looking out at say 13 14 15 i honestly just like i just can't imagine that i'm gonna use the word person again but i suppose i am looking back on that as a third person almost now but that's sort of the point you can't you can't physically imagine what you were like then no but i look back and you see yourself now and you're like yeah i'm told there's no way that's still me i just can't identify it's almost like a different character in a film yes and it, it would have been even i think that's good by the way but even 10 years ago yeah Five years ago, we were just talking earlier about how much we've come on in even mm-hmm. certain things, even in the last year. So you, you're always, I do, I'm, I, I I get sort of liberation from it, I think, that, that notion of, yeah, you just bundles in, in these moments and don't get too caught up in the in that thread that has to run through which is like you you started talking about when you mentioned tolerant people that is very Buddhist in a way, it's quite Eastern because it does say, well, all you should focus on is the present moment, which is 
I know one of our earlier episodes was on where you can't really do that because we we live through time. Yeah. But I do find that quite liberating. It's like, yeah, well, do you know what? Just concentrate on the present moment. What are your current thoughts? What are your perceptions now? What are you feeling? What are your emotions about a particular thing? And you just go with that. You don't have to worry. Because even if, like, a a thought experiment I've seen mentioned before is, like, when you think about, so if you think about yourself and this self thing, you have a sort of a diminishing concern for that self. So you care less about your future self than your current self. Now, that doesn't really make sense if, if it's the same thing, Ruben. So you, you care less about Danny in 10 years than you care about Danny in five years. And you care less about Danny in five years than you do about Danny tomorrow. Yeah. It's like a diminishing concern for yourself. So if that was a... Well, it's like surely you would be equally bothered about yourself because it's the same same thing, but we're not which is quite a, a weird one to think about. It does, And then obviously you couldn't care less really about your past self because it's gone. It's like, in the, in the, it's like, well, why would I? I can't really control that. So it sort of does lead you back to that thought of, well, yeah, all you've got is the present moment. Just concern yourself with that. A couple of questions then. So, you know, if you, we've got like embodiment, haven't we? Uh, we? We believe in embodied cognition as well, that your body plays a role in your yeah. kid. There is no separate mind and body and so on. So if your body's permanent in a way... Or is it? Is is the body not permanent either? Well, on a son, on a cellular level, yeah, no. But I don't think it's impossible for us to that. That be like you're on the matrix where he's just seeing like the ones and zeros, and 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 that would be like that would be a pretty mundane thing if you would you weren't actually seeing. But then again, we know how much your perception's just flipping your brain, inventing stuff, isn't it? And like, creating images for you to deal with the current state of play just to get through that moment like you say with Feldman Barrett and that predicting right I've got to walk from the end of this street to that end your brain's doing all sorts to get you through that moment that you're not consciously thinking about and when we watch the documentaries like the Robbie Williams documentary or you know on these things and they're looking back do you think we, and we, we talk a bit about identity don't we and Sartre's bad faith and you get stuck in an identity and you can't shake it do you think that's similar to this self stuff? It's like, this is who I am. I'm Robbie Williams. And I know, you know, I've always been in my head and I'm this. Do you think that, that you are tethered to the past if you're not careful and that these people would benefit from understanding human and big time? I mean, off the drugs as well. And, and but just kind of like, why do I need to continue to be someone who needs, who needs the limelight? Yeah. Is that something embodied? You know, like a, a fighter needs to fight or a, a singer needs to sing, a dancer needs to dance. You know, is there something physical in your body? You know, if you're a movie, you need to move. I don't, you know, what do you think about that? I think it's both, but maybe it's to degrees. So say the Robbie Williams thing's really interesting, in it? We talked quite a lot about that, just, you know, like what's what was going on there. That feels like, to me, it would almost be a bit of a... It's like a prison sentence. Like, if, if you... If your career is your name, like I know we we all operate on our name, don't we? But if yeah. if like your name is like that's the that's who we're going to see is Robbie Williams. And Robbie Williams, that is a I think that's more than personality, isn't it? it yeah. It's a bigger thing than just oh, he's like a good lad from Stoke, yeah. quite good looking, quite funny, cheeky chappy. That's different to the cell. That feels like it could be a prison sentence to me. Same with athletes, which maybe is more physical. Because if your whole, say, 20, 25 years of your life is spent in this, again, like, I'm probably mixing, but like persona, like this, like, say you're Mo Salah now, he's coming towards the end, isn't he? But he's, he's right in his pomp in terms of his, every, he's, he's just at the top of everything, isn't it? Everything's falling into play. 
But what happens when that starts falling away? That you, you're just not quite as quick. You lose that split second. But you're there on that. You are more Salah. That is like who you are. And then it's like, well, when you get to the point you can no longer play football, that's very... I think to think like Hume is really helpful there because you can go, well, I'm just like, I'm a new bundle now. That was the bundle then. The bundle's changed. So what am I going to do at this moment? Novak Djokovic is interesting and I work with characters like him and have done. And let's take his self. I, you know, deep down, he is a certain character and his character gets him through. And when his physical capabilities drop, he ain't going to be like a singer losing the voice. He's not a Elvis, you know, like when he did in all that is that sort of, he's not going to necessarily be able to be the same person because he can't dominate on the court. Then he's going to get, then he's going to find new sensations about himself. Like, I'm not winning matches I used to. I look weak. Then he's going to get frustrated. So often the psychology is going to start spinning out of control. And I think for an athlete, the challenge of not only adapting themselves, how they play sport right to the end, and how they view their role and themselves, I think that's healthy when you hear players saying, well, I lost my speed, so I just have to play there. Well, I... You know, I, and, and that's the, the back to Darwinism is it's the most adaptable of the species that survive, not the strongest. And it's dealing with the present moment, isn't it? It's this is the current thing. This is what's in front of me, the new territory. How do I adapt and, and, and make it work? And I think for athletes, they get stuck a lot of the time and they, they, they can't adapt because it's, they've got all the love, all the retention, their, their embodiment is, is through that. They don't really know any other ways to be. So it's not, it's not surprising that there's a panic and a fear of this, this self isn't this self. It's not working for me as much. And then there's all these other ramifications. And then the brain predicts about the future. Oh my God, who am I? Literally, who am I? Who am I going to be? And how am I going to survive? Because nothing's when I'm not me. And I think a coach and a you know a good coach helps and holds the hand of the person through all these changes. Because as much as we might say and assume and everybody and you know there is no actual true self, but you actually experience yourself as a self. It is a convenient fiction, but that fiction, yeah, it's convenient. It's nice. It's good. I mean, we, we live through stories. Our brain compresses information into stories, and that's how we get through the world. And it's lovely. It's all the upsides of this as well as the down. So when I watched the Robbie Williams thing at the end, what I thought was all right was he went on stage or went on a on a gig, and he'd had three, four, five, six years, I don't know, off, and he went back on. It was he was coming back. Because he, you know, he chilled out and he thought, I still want to sing on my old terms. And he went and sang and he was a pop factor or whatever you called. He he said afterwards, oh, I messed it up really. It was weird on there because Robbie Williams didn't turn up to sing it. Robbie sang it. So for me, that was a sign he knew that physically something in his, he, he sensed that, it, that, God, that was strange. Then he went back, we take that, got some confidence up, come come back. And then why well, I would like to think that the guy could go forward in his life like a good actor who doesn't have to do every movie that comes their way, just pick and choose when he wants to jump back into that those qualities, knowing he's never gonna be the Nebworth King and all you know, whatever, the, the biggest singer ever, but just having a different relationship with his performing and his singing than if you know, if a singer needs to sing and a dancer needs to dance and a, and a tennis player needs to hit balls, I think that there's something about taking yourself less seriously as you used to, 
like the Beauvoir said, the wisdom side of it, which is more, I wasn't even anything permanent, even when I was achieving it, but I used to think I, I was God. I used to think I was it. I used, used to think I was, I was, it was interesting. I was watching a film called Patton last night about uh, the General Patton, the army leader, and uh, he was telling a story in it about the uh, good Romans that came back from war. And they used to be, when they'd won, they used to be on a chariot being sent through Rome. And all the crowds were cheering them. And the children were there in white robes. And they had, you know, all the, all the adulation of a famous warrior. But they would employ a slave to stand behind them, holding a gold helmet above the head, whispering in their ear, every great person falls. Attention is fleeting. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was a, and he, that that's how... He, he was telling this story when he'd basically been kicked told to retire and it was his way of saying well that was then and this is now like I can I, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to cope with it because you have your moment and then it goes and I think that's what I was trying to get out with my phases stuff in the, in, in the research at the end to say very very healthy to be able to recognize when you're going into different phases and territories of your life and like let the old self sort of almost realize that it can let go and it can be different and you're not going to lose all your friends and all your family are still going to love you and you don't need as much adulation as you thought and that doesn't mean you are betraying your old self i think a lot of people feel like they put a lot of time in or they've made a lot of sacrifices and therefore i've made all this money i've done all this i better keep that going for everything and if i'm and if i, if I turn my back on that kind of idealism or the way i thought then i've i'm not you know i've, I've copped out I've, I've opted out halfway through i didn't see it through i wasn't consistent to the end and i think that that's a real golden cage type burden to put yourself in. Yes, it can help. Yes, it's obviously got you a lot of things in life and it's made you function. But if you can see that there's nothing permanent underneath or should be anyway, then it, it can. it's very, very liberating and non-attachment. You don't have to get stuck to it and non-attaching. And I've talked to this with players and athletes even recently. And once this has pennies dropped with them about this, and it can be like saying we're having children, same with old relationships. You don't, you know, just because you were once friends, it doesn't mean that you have to be the best friends all your life. You have new friends. So then friends can be there and now and again, and you don't have to feel you're betraying them. And same with your sport. So you're not, you can stick to things and mess around, but you're not stuck in, stuck with it. They're not, it's not clingy. And I think that you don't get clingy love. A good relationship is where you're probably both individually developing in your own ways but not frightened that the other person's not going to love you anymore because you've changed they admire it they're changing you're changing they like it and, and in some cases even if you go really a separate ways that's fine you can might move on to other things but it's very interesting isn't it you, you, you don't i think some of the players i've helped with this lately and 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 so on and talked about if they, they immediately said to me oh my god i feel so alive i was stuck i was at energy i was tight in my chest i was i was like running against the tide in a way and now i feel like i'm swimming with the tide this is just you, you don't realize how you've like relaxed me and opened me up and then and, and it's given me like in, and the fellas and barrett would say it's given you a new story of how your future might become yeah, it's change. You mentioned the word change there. That underpins, like, the people we work with and that, that's really at the core of it a lot of the time, isn't it? It's the fact that change is inevitable. Yeah. Because we live through time, things are always changing. And Hume brought this in, so he related the cell to that. He says something along the lines of, like, when, when we see someone or something change gradually, so it's like little by little by little, you barely, you know, like we said about earlier, like how quickly November's come around or nearly December, but 
like it doesn't seem that long since summer was summer was there but day to day you don't really notice it do you those little tiny incremental things and Hume said when you when things do change gradually you're much less likely to ascribe change to the thing that is changing as in the self the person whatever we want to call it if it happens really really gradually you're not you're almost not going to put it down to them changing it's something else because it's just so gradual to see. But when things change suddenly, rather than bit by bit, it's like overnight. It's like you put it down to the to the person. And that could be the same with athletes like Robbie Williams and things like that. If you're an athlete and you get a really bad injury and you have to cut your leg off, overnight, bang, that's like, well, that self definitely doesn't friggin' exist now because you cannot physically do what you were you were doing. And that's a different ball game, isn't it? To just gradually, gradually getting 1% slower every year and then eventually like you're 1% less strong in a particular move. And that's different, isn't it? And how we conceptualize that with ourselves or well, what's, that's me. There's something core me here that's changing. How do I deal with that? Dark, but shock, trauma, you know, disease, things that really horrible things that can just happen, you know, the top. You know, get a disease and it's like all I'm now not think about myself is that disease and everything's me with that. But I'm not, I'm a, you know, they say I'm a, I'm a cancer patient, say I'm not John anymore. Uh, it's so disorientating. So I'm, you know, I'm not in for all this instant type of breaking the self down and going, you're not a self. I think you've got to be dead careful with it. I think, you know, you can end up becoming a lunatic and going right off. And, you, you know, really, and then practically a lot of the things in your life, it could be too quick, too soon, too much. So I think you need, I, you know, you need, there's no point me going into an athlete and going, you know, you're a footballer. What do you actually think that is? You're not a footballer, really. You just, and, you know. Oh, you could get really quite nihilistic with it if you wanted and just be like, well, there's no such thing as to sell. Why do you care what you're going to do? You may as well just go and steal that person's car because it's not, it'll be a different person tomorrow. And I've said that a lot with when, with the Eastern bits and the good, but if you go too far with it, you, basically it's like you zoom too far out, too far back from the earth, looking out, nothing means anything. Whereas if you, in, in, but if you're too zoomed right in on yourself too much, you, you, you think you're the center of the whole universe and then it's just a scary, horrible, you know, trap place so another skill is like letting yourself rock have this rocking motion i've talked about like where you can zoom in and zoom out to the gestalt the bigger picture and then back in on the little and that is a healthy movement as well and um, i like the fact that my mom will say oh you've been the same since you were two when you always did this and you always did that it was just who you were and then i love the also fact when she says gosh you've really developed you've changed you used to be like this you could have gone this way but you went like that and now you're so much more relaxed or you've become a dad and it's changed you and I never thought I'd see you like this. And I think that's lovely as well, isn't it? And even within myself, I think some of the things I'm most proud of deep down that get me emotional are, is the letting go of the clinging on to the things I thought were important about myself. When I can let go a bit and take my hands off tightly and like, like trust, you know, like almost not have to be so serious and defined by things. That's where I, my heart opens back up in a weird way. I'm not as tight and, and, and I'm more gentle. And, and I think that's when I have a really good effect around the people around me. Um, I can't be like that all the time. I go back into, you know, I'm, I'm a self-important person and I need this my way. Because we talked about Nietzsche, didn't we, the, the, the will to power my power, my individuality. We did an episode on the century of the self. You know, we, the, the, 
you know, the self is, you know, buy things for you, go on your holidays, experience everything for you, you know, very self, what you call self-centered living and my power. But as, as that's dropped away and it's hard to let it to drop away, not totally, you know, but it's actually healthy, feels healthy in me in terms of breathing and sleeping. And, and it's hard for me because I'm a bit of an achiever. I was always someone who was driven and pragmatic and get things done. So for me, it feels lazy sometimes and it feel, I feel, took me a long time to get over the feeling I need to be busy or if not, I'm lazy and, you know, and I'm cheating, but I'm actually not like that ever anymore. I'm just, I'm just happy and content and, and I, I am aware that I have changed as well. And I think that's a nice thing. And that helps me when I'm working with young people, let them go through that. Don't change them at the start, let them make the mistakes let them go through, let them come to those changes within themselves, laugh at them a bit, you know, remember you used to be, you used to think you had all the answers to the world. And if you were just this, this would be it. I don't, don't deprive them of that, of that transition through their, their many selves, if they can. Equally, if they're, if they're wonky and they struggle with mental health or what have you, and they found a little identity that just makes them tick and they use it for 50 years, then fine as well. I do think, though, I am a big believer that you should cringe a little bit. So when you think of yourself of two years ago, five years ago, ten, I do. I think it's healthy. It 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 shows a level of some sort of progress in you in yourself. You know, you're thinking, you 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 sort of coming on a bit in your own, making sense of the world. It's nice to cringe a bit and go, "Oh my God, can you believe that's what I was like or that's what I was did?" I like that. I think it's a more of a worry if you like you feel like oh yeah I'm, I've literally not changed a bit in <laughs> ten years. That just shows you you've got stuck or you're not making any real depth of progress. When you've done that, have you found yourself appreciating some of the people that helped you in your life when you must have been back being a bit of a knobhead, like you got stuck and thought you were a know-it-all? See, I don't really think of people who have helped me in that way. I feel like I am. I've very much like just done helped a lot. I've never I've never had a coach or in anything really like you know like obviously like friends and you could call like some friends maybe more of a mentor and and people but I've always been very self driven in that sense again using the word self but self motivated self learning all that stuff I've never really felt like I've had people obviously your parents and like family and things but never I look back and think of specific people it's usually people I've never met, so it's like like you. Oh, like when you read some of his stuff, and then you change, don't you? It's like you've got a new outlook on the world. All the the flipping hundreds of philosophers we've got into and looked at and stuff. They're almost like mentors in a way, I see. Even though you never meet them, reading a book, it's like you communicated with them in, in many ways. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Yeah, some of the best coaches, you've, you've never met them because they've asked information. But I think what I'm saying is people who gave me jobs, people who put up with me when I was going on, people... Yeah, but I don't... Were, were they consciously doing that with no, like random things? No. It's just they were in their moment, weren't they? just got like, like, I've got a job here. I need someone to do this. You just cross their path. I'll give Danny a job doing that. I don't think there's a bigger... You get, you do get some people like that who... You probably... I feel like that a little bit myself now and I always talk about my nieces and stuff and I do sometimes like to think maybe I would be that kind of wise uncle or a bit, at least a bit wiser than them, sir, who maybe does help them along a bit and then in 20, 30, 40 years, they, like, they do look back and go, oh, yeah, that's, that's quite a nice feeling. Even the people you work with and stuff, there's 
Yeah. There's a niceness to that, isn't there? Maybe there was people who helped me along the way and I just didn't clock it at the time and yeah. I had a sneaky, he'll never know this, but I know what I've just done there will put him on a different path. That's what I mean. I mean, looking back, not at the time, but the, the, the you know, they the put up with it. I appreciate, I don't know, it's like maybe I just appreciate people for putting up with me through, through those years and phases, even bad but i had quirks and stubbornness and certain ambitions and i was like probably said things and thought i knew it all you don't think that's the job though because i definitely think that would like say like parents leo is going to put you through all sorts of turmoil you just know at some point you know once he's a teenager and that it'll be carnage but yeah. it's so i often think yeah but that's your job like you chose to have kids you can't <laughs> You can't yeah, get any credit for that. Indeed. I, I, it is the job, but you can still get good and bad parents, can't you? And you can still get good and bad friends and teachers. I just yeah. think some of, them, some of them put up with a bit. They, they never went, I never said, oh, thanks for that, because I didn't appreciate it or know it at the time. Yeah. And I, don't, I wouldn't ring them now. I just have a feeling of, oh, yeah, so that makes me more patient for others. You know, I went to a wedding the other week and it was just a bit like, it was in America and, and it wasn't going to be about us and they were getting on with all their made things. But me and Laura just being at the wedding, I knew it had an effect for the bride and the groom. They loved it, but it wasn't about us going. It was about us just being there for them. And that's, that was a new kind of thing because normally it's like, well, what are we going to get from this? Is it going to be a good day? Will they, you know, we're going along it would just no. You just need. You're almost paying back in as an as a because a lot of people did that for us. Yeah. Where when you were young and yeah, they, they might have had to do it or not had to do it. But again, I just think it's nice. You get older and you change. But uh, so lastly, then to conclude, you, you know, you're you're the get. You know, you know a lot about this. Really, what are the what are the two or three bits of advice that you can maybe do this week on the cell? I like what you said earlier. That I like that analogy of the Zoom. I think that can help whatever predicaments you've got, whatever bundle, whatever bundle you're in at that moment, thoughts, percept, all that stuff. I do like your analogy of like, sometimes it's good to zoom in a bit and like, maybe there is something, you you know what, you do need to make a change here because you've been a bit of a dick or like, that was wrong, you shouldn't, there was a mistake you made, I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes it is good to look at, at yourself, isn't it, and go, right, I need to do something here. Even though like we say, it's just a story ultimately that you're probably creating. And then sometimes, yeah, you maybe do need to get quite buddhist and just zoom out and go do you know what just like relax a bit chill out and not worry too much about that minute detail i think that can help and just working out where you're at in those moments like have i got too zoomed in here or am i too zoomed out i'm not i'm not focused enough on something i have just got oh what will be will be doesn't matter anyway to the point of like i said you can get quite nihilistic it's like well nothing matters i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make my bed i'm not gonna wash you know you can go to that level because ultimately what's the point it doesn't it doesn't matter so I like that. I also like that because a, a lot of what was winding Hume up, I think, really, was if you go back to the very start of philosophy, like I said, one of the first things is know thyself, isn't it? Yeah. That's probably the most famous philosophical quote ever, really, like going way back to the ancient Greeks. And Hume was just going, yeah, but you can't really know yourself because when you look, there's nothing there. Underneath the surface, there isn't anything there. And I think he used this analogy of a, of life being like a bit of a symphony. So you, it, it's just made up of all these different instruments, individual instruments that come together to create music at different at different times. And like it's the same with us. We're made up of all these individual perceptions that come together to create our identity. And it's just like, what's the music you're going to make? I think that can be a proactive thing. Like, what tunes are you going to play, and 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 sort of get it get it going yourself? So, I think it's one of them. There's less obvious practical takeaways it's more of a an idea of just thinking about it a little bit and just just clocking yourself like 
you know, have I got two zoomed in, two zoomed out, and, and seeing how it works for you on that level, I think can help in that way. It's more of a reflective topic for me in some ways. And then it's, it's then what does that reflection then lead you to do? I like the idea of our last bit is, is it opens up a sense of movement. You can be consistent and inconsistent. You can change. You don't have to have a midlife crisis because you're frightened and go totally the other way. You can add a few things in. You can say yes to a few things you wouldn't normally have done and say no to a few things you would have done and, and live with that. And, you, you know, you can not drink as much. You can you don't have to. You don't have to be the guy who makes everybody laugh at the pub because otherwise they won't be your mate. You don't have to get stuck on a diagnosis if you've, you know, got into something, you know, lately and you've gone, oh my God, that's it, that's me, 50 years of life, that, you know, new syndrome, it, it, it defines me every moment about it. It's like, well, does it really? It's partially not even anything to begin with. So it, it explains a couple of things, but you're not suddenly a set of symptoms in everything you've ever done, right? You know, and, and also in your, in your jobs, you can say, it's almost like more the psychologists that talked a lot more about context-specific you know, even when we talk personality, it was most about the social construct stuff where you learn things for certain times and places. You learn how to operate. Your brain predicts ways of being, how to be. So you survive and, 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 and thrive in certain conditions. Now, those conditions might move on in your life, so you've got to move with it. So if you were peak years, 1970s, you've got a certain type of mode of character. Doesn't mean you've got to like forever live in the seventies with the seventies you. You can jump back in on a retro night and play the music and do the dance, remember things. But you can also go, but that wasn't all it was cracked up to be. I mean, there were some good bits, but it was hell as well. So that when we looked at the nostalgia episode last time, that it's that but even balance on nostalgia, like, yeah, it used to be good in the eighties, but it was also not good as well. Yeah. So that these are the good days now, and how do I want to live now for these? So you can, you know, you, you don't have to be tied like hamstrung to, to to all your past, but you can bring. That's what Heidegger talked about, wasn't it? As well about legacy and and heritage. He called it. It was about. It's very interesting about resoluteness. How do you go forwards in your life more resolutely? And he said, take from your past the bits that work and you want now that will work now. And go forwards, renewing yourself, you know. So the mo the present moment is a moment of vision. It's a newer moment of vision. And I think that by not believing in a stuck self, I think you're more likely to ge get genuinely creative about moments of vision and how good the future can be. And Feldon Barrett would, would say that's great because you're constructing emotions then that are better because you believe that the future is bright. That's pretty good. That's for me or how it ties into the psychology of, of, of your mood and how you, you see your future, basically, even if you're going through a bad time. When we dance, the journey itself is the point. When we play music, you will simply become completely absorbed in sound. And therefore, you will find yourself living in an eternal now in which there is no past, and there is no future, and there is no thing called difference between yourself and the world of nature outside you. This is red. This is green. This is something. This is nothing. This is solid. This is space. Between yourself and the world of nature outside you. 